Section 37 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4, by James Boswell. Section 37. Mr. Burke uniformly showed Johnson the greatest respect, and when Mr. Townsend, now Lord Sidney, at a period when he was conspicuous in opposition, threw out some reflection in Parliament upon the grant of a pension to a man of such political principles as Johnson, Mr. Burke, though then of the same party with Mr. Townsend, stood warmly forth in defense of his friend, to whom he justly observed the pension was granted solely on account of his eminent literary merit i am well assured that mr townsend's attack upon johnson was the occasion of his hitching in a rhyme for that in the original copy of goldsmith's character of mr burke in his retaliation another person's name stood in the couplet where mr townsend is now introduced footnote on march fourteenth seventeen seventy in a debate on the licentiousness of the press townsend joined together johnson and chabert burke who followed him said nothing about johnson fitzherbert speaking of johnson as my friend defended him as a pattern of morality on february sixteenth seventeen seventy four when fox drew attention to the vile libel signed a south briton Townsend said, Dr. Shiberi and Dr. Johnson have been pensioned, and this wretched South Briton is to be prosecuted. It was Fox and not Burke who on this occasion defended Johnson. As Goldsmith was writing retaliation at the very time that this second attack was made, it is very likely that it was the occasion of the change in the line. End of footnote. Though fraught with all learning kept straining his throat, to persuade Tommy Townshend to lend him a vote. It may be worth remarking among the minutiae of my collection that Johnson was once drawn to serve in the militia, the trained bands of the City of London, and that Mr. Rackstrow of the museum in Fleet Street was his colonel. It may be believed he did not serve in person, but the idea, with all its circumstances, is certainly laughable. He upon that occasion provided himself with a musket and with a sword and belt which I have seen hanging in his closet. He was very constant to those whom he once employed if they gave him no reason to be displeased. When somebody talked of being imposed on in the purchase of tea and sugar and such articles, that will not be the case, said he, if you go to a stately shop, as I always do. In such a shop it is not worth their while to take petty advantage." an author of most anxious and restless vanity being mentioned sir said he there is not a young sapling upon parnassus more severely blown about by every wind of criticism than that poor fellow the difference he observed between a well-bred and an ill-bred man is this one immediately attracts your liking the other your aversion you love the one till you find reason to hate him you hate the other till you find reason to love him the wife of one of his acquaintance had fraudulently made a purse for herself out of her husband's fortune 
feeling a proper compunction in her last moments she confessed how much she had secreted but before she could tell where it was placed she was seized with a convulsive fit and expired her husband said he was more hurt by her want of confidence in him than by the loss of his money i told him said johnson that he should console himself for perhaps the money might be found and he was sure that his wife was gone a foppish physician once reminded johnson of his having been in company with him on a former occasion i do not remember it sir the physician still insisted adding that he that day wore so fine a coat that it must have attracted his notice sir said johnson had you been dipped in pactolus i should not have noticed you he seemed to take a pleasure in speaking in his own style for when he had carelessly missed it he would repeat the thought translated into it talking of the comedy of the rehearsal he said it is not wit enough to keep it sweet this was easy he therefore caught himself and pronounced a more round sentence it has not vitality enough to preserve it from putrefaction he censured a writer of entertaining travels for assuming a feigned character saying in his sense of the word he carries out one lie we know not how many he brings back at another time talking of the same person he observed sir your assent to a man whom you have never known to falsify is a debt but after you have known a man to falsify your assent to him then is a favor though he had no taste for painting he admired much the manner in which sir joshua reynolds treated of his art in his discourses to the royal academy he observed one day of a passage in them i think i might as well have said this myself and once when mr langton was sitting by him he read one of them very eagerly and expressed himself thus very well master reynolds very well indeed but it will not be understood when i observed to him that painting was so far inferior to poetry that the story or even emblem which it communicates must be previously known and mentioned as a natural and laughable instance of this that a little miss on seeing a picture of justice with the scales had exclaimed to me see there's a woman selling sweetmeats he said painting sir can illustrate but cannot inform no man was more ready to make an apology when he had censured unjustly than johnson footnote i have heard says hawkins that in many instances and in some with tears in his eyes he has apologized to those whom he had offended by contradiction or roughness of behavior End footnote. when a proof-sheet of one of his works was brought to him he found fault with the mode in which a part of it was arranged refused to read it and in a passion desired that the compositor might be sent to him footnote johnson describes savage's superstitious regard for the correction of his sheets the intrusion or omission of a comma was sufficient to discompose him and he would lament an error of a single letter as heavy calamity compositor in the printing-house means the person who adjusts the types in the order in which they are to stand for printing and arranges what is called the form from which an impression is taken boswell 
End of footnote. The compositor was Mr. Manning, a decent, sensible man, who had composed about one half of his dictionary, when in Mr. Strahan's printing house, and a great part of his Lives of the Poets, when in that of Mr. Nichols, and who, in his seventy-seventh year, when in Mr. Baldwin's printing house, composed a part of the first edition of this work concerning him. By producing the manuscript, he at once satisfied Dr. Johnson that he was not to blame, upon which Johnson candidly and earnestly said to him, Mr. Compositor, I ask your pardon. Mr. Compositor, I ask your pardon again and again. His generous humanity to the miserable was almost beyond example. The following instance is well attested. Coming home late one night, he found a poor woman lying in the street, so much exhausted that she could not walk. He took her upon his back and carried her to his house, where he discovered that she was one of those wretched females who had fallen into the lowest state of vice, poverty, and disease. Instead of harshly upbraiding her, he had her taken care of with all tenderness for a long time, at considerable expense, till she was restored to health and endeavored to put her into a virtuous way of living. Footnote. This circumstance, therefore alluded to in Mr. Courtenay's poetical character of him, is strictly true. My informer was Mrs. de Moulin, who lived many years in Dr. Johnson's house, Boswell. The following are Mr. Courtenay's lines. Soft-eyed compassion with a look benign, his fervent vows he offered at thy shrine. To guilt, to woe, the sacred debt was paid, and helpless females blessed his pious aid. Snatched from disease and wants abandoned crew, despair and anguish from their victims flew. Hope's soothing balm into the bosom stole, and tears of penitence restored the soul. End of footnote. He thought Mr. Caleb Whiteford singularly happy in hitting on the signature a papyrus cursor to his ingenious and diverting cross-readings of the newspapers, it being a real name of an ancient Roman and clearly expressive of the thing done in this lively conceit. Footnote. The cross-readings were said to be formed by reading two columns of a newspaper together onwards, where the strangest connections were brought about, such as this morning the right honourable the speaker was convicted of keeping a disorderly house whereas the said barn was set on fire by an incendiary letter dropped early in the morning by the order of the commissioner for paving an infallible remedy for the stone and gravel the sword of state was carried before sir john fielding and committed to newgate according to northcote dr goldsmith declared in the heat of his admiration of these cross-readings it would have given him more pleasure to have been the author of them than of all the works he had ever published of his own. Horace Walpole writes, Have you seen that delightful paper composed out of scraps in the newspaper? I laughed till I cried. I mean the paper that says, This day His Majesty will go in great state to fifteen notorious common prostitutes. End of footnote. He once in his life was known to have uttered what is called a bull. Sir Joshua Reynolds, when they were riding together in Devonshire, complained that he had had a very bad horse, for that even when going downhill he moved slowly, step by step. I said Johnson, and when he goes uphill, he stands still. 
he had a great aversion to gesticulating in company he called once to a gentleman who offended him in that point don't attitudinize and when another gentleman thought he was giving additional force to what he uttered by expressive movements of his hands johnson fairly seized them and held them down footnote one of these gentlemen was probably mr musgrave who says mrs piozzi when once he was singularly warm about johnson's writing the lives of our famous prose authors getting up and entreating him to set about the work immediately he coldly replied sit down sir miss burney says that the incense he paid dr johnson by his solemn manner of listening by the earnest reverence with which he eyed him and by the theatric start of admiration every time he spoke joined to the doctor's utter insensibility to all these tokens made me find infinite difficulty in keeping my countenance the other gentleman was perhaps dr wharton End of footnote. an author of considerable eminence footnote probably dr Beatty. the number of letters in his name agrees with the asterisks given a few lines below in footnote having engrossed a good share of the conversation in the company of johnson and having said nothing but what was trifling and insignificant johnson when he was gone observed to us it is wonderful what a difference there sometimes is between a man's powers of writing and of talking he writes with great spirit but is a poor talker had he held his tongue we might have supposed him to have been restrained by modesty but he has spoken a great deal to-day and you have heard what stuff it was a gentleman having said that congé de lire has not perhaps the force of a command but may be considered only as a strong recommendation footnote johnson in his dictionary defines congé de lire as the king's permission royal to a dean and chapter in time of vacation to choose a bishop when dr hamden was made bishop of hereford in eighteen forty eight the dean resisted that appointment h c robinson records on the authority of the bishop's secretary that at the actual confirmation in bow church the scene was quite ludicrous after the judge had told the opposers that he could not hear them the citation for opposers to come forward was repeated at which the people present laughed out as at a play End of footnote. sir replied johnson who overheard him it is such a recommendation as if i should throw you out of a two pair of stairs window and recommend to you to fall soft footnote it has been printed in other publications fall to the ground but johnson himself gave me the true expression which he had used as above meaning that the recommendation left as little choice in one case as the other boswell one of the other publications is hawkins edition of johnson's works End of footnote mr stevens who passed many a social hour with him during their long acquaintance which commenced when they both lived in the temple has preserved a good number of particulars concerning him most of which are to be found in the department of apothems etc in the collection of johnson's works footnote they are published in volume eleven of hawkins edition of johnson's works seventeen eighty seven and are often quoted in my notes 
it should be remembered that Stevens is not trustworthy. End of footnote. But he has been pleased to favor me with the following, which are original. One evening, previous to the trial of Baretti, a consultation of his friends was held at the house of Mr. Cox, the solicitor, in Southampton Buildings, Chancery Lane. Among others present were Mr. Burke and Dr. Johnson, who differed in sentiments concerning the tendency of some part of the defense the prisoner was to make. When the meeting was over, Mr. Stevens observed that the question between him and his friend had been agitated with rather too much warmth. It may be so, sir, replied the doctor, for Burke and I should have been of one opinion if we had had no audience. Dr. Johnson once assumed a character in which perhaps even Mr. Boswell never saw him. His curiosity having been excited by the praises bestowed on the celebrated Torres fireworks at Marybone Gardens, he desired Mr. Stevens to accompany him thither. The evening had proved showery, and soon after the people present were assembled, public notice was given that the conductors to the wheels, suns and stars, etc., were so thoroughly water-soaked that it was impossible any part of the exhibition should be made. "'This is a mere excuse,' says the doctor, "'to save their crackers for more profitable company. Let us but hold up our sticks and threaten to break those colored lamps that surround the orchestra, and we shall soon have our wishes gratified. The core of the fireworks cannot be injured.' Let the different pieces be touched in their respective centers, and they will do their offices as well as ever. Some young men who overheard him immediately began the violence he had recommended, and an attempt was speedily made to fire some of the wheels which appeared to have received the smallest damage. But to little purpose were they lighted, for most of them completely failed. The author of The Rambler, however, may be considered on this occasion as the ringleader of a successful riot, though not as a skilful pyrotechnist. It has been supposed that Dr. Johnson, so far as fashion was concerned, was careless of his appearance in public. But this is not altogether true, as the following slight instance may show. Goldsmith's last comedy was to be represented during some court mourning, and Mr. Stevens appointed to call on Dr. Johnson and carry him to the tavern where he was to dine with others of the poet's friends. The doctor was ready dressed but in colored clothes, yet being told he would find everyone else in black, received the intelligence with a profusion of thanks, hastened to change his attire, all the while repeating his gratitude for the information that had saved him from an appearance so improper in the front row of a front box. I would not, added he, for ten pounds have seemed so retrograde in any general observance. Footnote. Hannah Moore describes how in 1780 she went to one of Mrs. Ord's assemblies at a time when the mourning for some foreign Wilhelmina Jacqueline was not over. Every human creature was in deep mourning, and I, poor I, all gorgeous in scarlet, even Jacobite Johnson was in deep mourning. End of footnote. He would sometimes found his dislikes on very slender circumstances. Happening one day to mention Mr. Flexman, a dissenting minister, with some compliments to his exact memory in chronological matters, the doctor replied, 
let me hear no more of him sir that is the fellow who made the index to my ramblers and set down the name of milton thus milton mr john footnote in the tenth edition of the rambler published in seventeen eighty four the entry is still found milton mr john remarks on his versification in like manner we find shakespeare mr william his imminent success in tragicomedy spencer mr edmund some imitations of his diction censured cowley mr abraham a passage in his writing illustrated End of footnote. mr stevens adds this testimony it is unfortunate however for johnson that his particularities and frailties can be more distinctly traced than his good and amiable exertions could the many bounties he studiously concealed the many acts of humanity he performed in private be displayed with equal circumstantiality his defects would be so far lost in the blaze of his virtues that the latter only would be regarded though from my very high admiration of johnson i have wondered that he was not courted by all the great and all the eminent persons of his time it ought fairly to be considered that no man of humble birth who lived entirely by literature in short no author by profession ever rose in this country into that personal notice which he did in the course of this work a numerous variety of names have been mentioned to which many might be added i cannot omit lord and lady lucan at whose house he often enjoyed all that an elegant table and the best company can contribute to happiness he found hospitality united with extraordinary accomplishments and embellished with charms of which no man could be insensible on tuesday june twenty second i dined with him at the literary club the last time of his being in that respectable society the other members present were the bishop of st asaph lord elliot lord palmerston dr fordis and mr malone he looked ill but had such a manly fortitude that he did not trouble the company with melancholy complaints they all showed evident marks of kind concern about him with which he was much pleased and he exerted himself to be as entertaining as his indisposition allowed him the anxiety of his friends to preserve so estimable a life as long as human means might be supposed to have influence made them plan for him a retreat from the severity of a british winter to the mild climate of italy footnote hawkins writes the plan for johnson's visiting the continent became so well known that as a lady then resident at rome afterwards informed me his arrival was anxiously expected throughout italy End of footnote. this scheme was at last brought to a serious resolution at general paoli's where i had often talked of it one essential matter however i understood was necessary to be previously settled which was obtaining such an addition to his income as would be sufficient to enable him to defray the expense in a manner becoming the first literary character of a great nation and independent of all his other merits the author of the dictionary of the english language the person to whom i above all others thought i should apply to negotiate this business was the lord chancellor 
because I knew that he highly valued Johnson, and that Johnson highly valued his lordship, so that it was no degradation of my illustrious friend to solicit for him the favor of such a man. I have mentioned what Johnson said of him to me when he was at the bar, and after his lordship was advanced to the seals, he said of him, I would prepare myself for no man in England but Lord Thurlow. When I am to meet with him, I should wish to know a day before. Footnote. With Lord Thurlow, while he was at the bar, Johnson was well acquainted. He said to Mr. Murphy twenty years ago, Thurlow is a man of such vigor of mind that I never knew I was to meet him, but I was going to tell a falsehood. I was going to say I was afraid of him, and that would not be true, for I was never afraid of any man. But I never knew that I was to meet Thurlow, but I knew I had something to encounter. Murphy, no doubt, was the writer. Lord Campbell quotes from the diary of a distinguished political character an account of a meeting between Thurlow and Horn Took in 1801. Took evidently came forward for a display, and as I considered his powers of conversation as surpassing those of any person I have ever seen, in point of skill and dexterity, and if necessary in lying, so I took for granted old grumbling Thurlow would be obliged to lower his top sail to him. But it seemed as if the very look and voice of Thurlow scared him out of his senses from the first moment. So Took tried to recruit himself by wine, and though not generally a drinker, was very drunk, but all would not do. End of footnote. How he would have prepared himself I cannot conjecture. Would he have selected certain topics and considered them in every view so as to be in readiness to argue them at all points? And what may we suppose those topics to have been? I once started the curious inquiry to the great man who was the subject of this compliment. He smiled but did not pursue it. I first consulted with Sir Joshua Reynolds, who perfectly coincided in opinion with me, and I therefore, though personally very little known to his lordship, wrote to him stating the case and requesting his good offices for Dr. Johnson. Footnote. It is strange that Sir John Hawkins should have related that the application was made by Sir Joshua Reynolds, when he could so easily have been informed of the truth by inquiring of Sir Joshua. Sir John's carelessness to ascertain facts is very remarkable. Boswell. In the footnote. I mentioned that I was obliged to set out for Scotland early in the following week, so that if his lordship should have any commands for me as to this pious negotiation, he would be pleased to send them before that time. Otherwise, Sir Joshua Reynolds would give all attention to it. This application was made not only without any suggestion on the part of Johnson himself, but was utterly unknown to him nor had he the smallest suspicion of it. Any insinuations, therefore, which since his death had been thrown out, as if he had stooped to ask what was superfluous, are without any foundation. But had he asked it, it would not have been superfluous, for though the money he had saved proved to be more than his friends imagined, or than I believe he himself in his carelessness concerning worldly matters knew it to be, had he travelled upon the continent 
an augmentation of his income would by no means have been unnecessary. End of section 37